Hey everybody, this is Leighton Lillis and welcome to the Wish We'd Become Rockstars podcast where every week I get together with two of my old high school buddies, Mike and Ben, and we discuss music. Usually hard rock and heavy metal because that's what we were brought up on, but this week we discuss KISS and we really delve into the 1980s version of KISS because that's what Mike and I especially were huge fans of. Our friend Ben set out this one because he's not the greatest KISS fan, but Mike and I talked and talked about one of our favorite bands. So you wanted the best, you got the best. Here's our podcast on KISS. The guy that said it's just died of COVID, God damn it. Oh, really? Yeah, it was was Well, hang on, lots of guys have said it, so which one? Well, the the latest guy, uh, guy Fran Fran Stuber or something, I think was his name. And he was Paul's guitar tech, and he's been on the end of the road tour that they've all just gone out on after COVID. I guess it shows how serious COVID is that they've gone out on the road, they've done all their protocols. Paul caught it, Gene caught it. Yeah. And now the guy that said that's died. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, let's not bring it, let's not bring let's it down. All right. Let's uh we'll <laughs> fix it in post. It's fine. Let's <laughs> we'll fix it in post. It's um Let's go again. Start again. Here we go. You wanted the best. You got the best. The hottest band in the world. Kiss. I think Kiss after Bon Jovi is probably one of the bands that you and I were both 100% huge fans of. We were part of the Kiss Army, weren't we? Yes, correct. One of the things we bonded over almost immediately, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And both of us got into KISS in the late 80s, early 90s. So so we got into them before the the makeup or after the makeup, before the reunion. Well, we- no, no. For me, um, my older sister got into KISS. Uh, okay. And so I was a... I was a I don't know, six-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, um, and my older sister got in, you know, she clicked on to Dynasty or Dynasty or whatever you want to call it. Um, so she was an I, I was made for loving you person. She had kiss posters on the wall. She's um, you know, about eight years older than I am, so she was right in the, right in the sweet spot for, for kiss at that point. And um, so I was introduced to them that way. Um, but she literally had... Uh, Dynasty, Unmasked, and Double Platinum, their, like, greatest hits collection of all their early yeah. stuff. And yeah. That was, and so that was the entirety of her Kiss collection, and I went through all of that stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, I quite like this, you know, a bit different from my Michael Jackson tape that I've got. Um, and that was my, my first introduction to them. And then The Elder came out, and she bought that, and, and that's where... Um, they sort of tapered off a little bit, but I still quite liked it, even as, I mean, geez, how old would I have been there? Seven, maybe? 81? I don't know. Wow. Um, and then I dropped off the KISS radar until, you know, I picked it back up again in my teens and went, oh, hang on a minute, that's them. So like, you're telling me that as a seven-year-old you were aware of Strutter and, like, Juice. I mean, were you actually, or did you just know of that, awesome amazing looking band and this theatrical makeup it was like what all, was it it was about the look uh yeah. they had a they had a spaceman in there which 
blew my mind as a six-year-old yeah. because I was all about Star Wars and science fiction. So one of them was a spaceman. Just I was in on that. To be honest, no, double platinum. I kind of went. Yeah, I, I didn't listen to it very much at all. Um, it was for me. It was more about. I, I I could have given you every track on Dynasty and Unmasked, absolutely. And even when the Elder came out, I really liked it. You know, even at that age. Yeah. Wow. Um, but no, I didn't dig back into Double Platinum that much. Probably because. She had the other ones on vinyl and double platinum on cassette, and the cassette lived in her room, so I didn't listen to it very much. Every now and again, I'd get my hands on that, but not a lot. Well, wow. well, that's a very different story to mine. I mean, um, I mean, I I first saw uh, Kiss uh, doing a video of Crazy Crazy Nights, and right in the heart of the the late eighties hair band thing, I always knew Kiss were like a makeup with the makeup, but I, I I don't ever recall any of their songs. I don't ever recall I was made for loving you, but I loved kiss crazy nights and a little bit of trivia for you. The venue where kiss crazy, crazy nights was shot was the same venue as Bon Jovi living on a prayer and you give love a bad name. There you uh, go. I, I think it's, it was either called the Olympic auditorium or something in Los Angeles, same venue. Um, and, I don't know. For me, it just all fell into something very similar to what those other great bands that I was liking at the time, Def Leppard. Uh, I thought Paul looked every bit the same as um, the the rock stars of the time. Joe Elliott, Joey Tempest, John Bon Jovi, and you know what? Vince Neil, perhaps, and Paul Stanley. I didn't even yeah, really re reconcile it, Gene as being the, the tongue guy and all that. But that, that was my that was my my gateway into Kiss, and then I got a video called Exposed, which had a lot of the stuff off Asylum, and then yep. I remember I stayed overnight once with um, you know when I was about fifteen at a friend's place, and he had an older brother, and he was this guy had caught glandular fever, um, which seemed to always go around schools high schools you know where if yeah. you've got glandular fever you were out for the better part of three or four months yeah and this guy all he did in those three and four months was watch the kiss animalize video and learn all the songs on guitar so this older brother he knew detroit rock city and then i started my trip back in into the the 70s kiss so when did you get back into Kiss then? If you if you were you knew it back then, yep. was it around Crazy Nights or was it later on? Like what was the song that sort of got you back into them again? It was I reckon it might have been Hot in the Shade. I reckon was probably where I picked it back up again and then sort of worked my way back a little bit from there and connected the dots. But it was probably Forever. I think would have been the the one that that sort of went that's those guys wait a second you know and um put it put it all in from there so yeah on the shade 89 so, so, so it's interesting yet again there's paul paul stanley doing yeah. what was what was the formula of the day the yeah. the the ballad and pulling it off no different to Def Leppard Love Bites, Joey Tempest yeah. in Europe doing Carrie, Bon Jovi I mean, Wanted Dead or Alive. Yeah. 
there's there's a solid argument to be made that Paul was singing better in the 80s than he ever did in the 70s. You know, he developed this ridiculously high register that um, he, he was right up there, man, given that he's, you know, 10, 15 years older than most of those guys. It's amazing. Well, was he? I mean, see, see that's the thing with Paul Stanley. I, I, I mean, he made it so young. But but what's his birth birth year? I know Gene's a bit older. I think Gene's 49, but I, I think Paul is 52, only 52. Please hold. Paul? We'll, we'll fix this in post. Right. Paul Stanley was born in 52. He is 69 years old. Yeah. So, so put it into context of fifty-two. So, in 1989, when he was singing "Forever," yeah, he was man. He was forty-seven. Forty-seven. Our age. That's not bad, man. That is not no. a bad run. So that, that 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 does, yeah, that that does put it into context. Uh, you know how you and I feel at age forty-seven, and there's Paul, yeah. arguably at his prime. I and think. Prime. I, yeah, I agree with you. While while the seventies. They did. They achieved so much. Uh, they were stadium acts. They were the biggest band in the world. I don't think he ever like. I I agree with you. I think he sang better than ever in that next period from yeah. 89, 80, 87, 89 through to you know. I reckon probably the late nineties. The guy. The guy still yeah. had a great voice. Yep. For most for all the reunion tour. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, Absolutely, and he just he just developed this incredible, powerfully powerful high register. You know, unbelievable. Yeah, and he seemed to lose. I I, have to, I don't know whether it was just the recording equipment of the time, or maybe the microphones of the time, but he always seemed to have a terrible lisp uh, in a lot of the seventies recordings. You know, and it, it just I don't know, it never seemed quite. It just always seemed very scratchy, and but that could have just been the recording of the recordings of the time. He, just like he Robert Plant, he definitely had a bit of a um, like he 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 was he was singing like a seventies rock guy then, so he had a bit more grit in his voice. I don't think I ever picked up the list before. He does have um, a hearing yeah. issue that apparently he had kept quiet for a very long time. So maybe that's that's part of it. Yeah, but look. Um, I, I I certainly digested every bit. I mean, were you familiar with the Crazy Nights album? Do you do you know it? Yes, well, I do now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, I, so you know it quite well, quite well. Oh, ish. Yeah, I've I've got some. I think like a lot of that eighty stuff. It's, I've got tracks that I really like, but the albums themselves, I probably you know I, I cherry pick a little bit. So. Uh, I mean that song, "Crazy Nights," is probably one of my all-time favourites. It's yeah, amazing. Um, it's like "How to Hold You," great song. Uh, great song. "Turn on the Night," great song. Um, so you know, there's there's a few there that are that are, I, I think are fantastic. When you get into bang bang you and no 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 i'm less interested yeah um, but i think that's the story of them through the 80s is i think they had consistently great songs but there weren't a lot of 
all killer, no filler albums in the 80s. No, no. And, and look, I, I have to say, as I look through the, all of the 80s, see, I'm not particularly familiar with, I do have it on vinyl, but the Lick It Up album, I'm not that familiar with it. Um, and I mean, yeah, we know that hell, song, though. We know, we that, know song. that song. We know that and song because they've played it on every tour since 1983. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of other, I mean, considering it was, yeah. Is it one of your favourites? Lick it up, no. No, no. Not, not, not one of my favourites. No. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I was just sort of trying to think of, let, let's put um, Revenge to the side right now because Revenge yep. is its own discussion. But yes. I think those 80s albums, I I mean, have you got a favourite amongst them? I mean, I, I could certainly label out some favourite songs, but I don't know if I've got a favourite album. Favorite album, that's an interesting one if I'm looking at those 80s ones and, you know, you're putting Revenge, uh, Revenge was 92, so that's... that's yeah, anyway. Revenge. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to disqualify um, the Elder Unmasked and Dynasty as well, even though Unmasked and the Elder are technically in the 80s. Let's And Creatures of the Night? <sighs> because, see, that, that was still the last makeup album. It was still a makeup album. Because otherwise, that that's my favourite. But I, I well, and I feel I feel like it doesn't. I, I feel like it does get included in that eighties thing. I feel like that's the break there for what you're calling Kiss's eighties phase. I think it starts with Creatures of the Night. I think even though it's a makeup album, I think that's there's a definitive change in style that kicks off on Creatures of the Night. It's interesting you say that because I. I Feel like something like I love it loud, which is one of my favorite songs off the album. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that would have ever found its way onto. It just doesn't work in my head when you don't have Gina makeup, you know. Um, but I will also. I think say they probably that, they probably played it a lot through the eighties. I would think. Oh, I think they did. Well, they they absolutely did. My, yeah. but but I. Look, I'm just looking here. Something like I Still Love You, that, does, that doesn't feel like a very, uh, like the ballad doesn't feel like a very makeup era song. It absolutely fits in the power ballads of the, however, War Machine feels like a makeup era. That's a gene yeah. at his yeah. best. I Love It Loud and War Machine feel like they should, they deserve to stay as part of the makeup era. Sure. Um, but I don't know many of the other songs. See, Creatures of the Night's one of my favorite Kiss songs of all time. And nothing better than in the Alive 3 uh, live album. My God, what a starting tune. Yeah. But that and I Still Love You signal that, that they they were heading into the 80s. They were listening to everything else that was going on rather than just doing what Kiss does. Absolutely. But I mean, that's kind of the story of Kiss a little bit too, isn't it? They're a. Uh... They're a chameleon band, yeah. A little bit, you know. They um, they didn't start that way. They started off as innovators, and I think as they went through, they sort of, you know, think about uh, Dynasty. You know, they disco, put they, yeah. they put out a disco album, a, a rock disco album, sure. Um, 
but you know, make no mistake, they were that was a conscious decision to do that. And then Unmasked is a very um, poppy, poppy, pop yeah, definitely follow up to that. Um, and then you get into the eighties, and they are doing what the other bands were doing. They're not doing their own thing there very much. You no, know, they, they move with the times. Um, was it a good thing, to, or was it a good thing, or not? I, I I don't have a problem with it. Why no. wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you? Otherwise, do that? they would have um, been just old rock dinosaurs had they not. Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think um, as much as much as you know, I'm a I'm a massive fan. I I don't think of them as a novelty band. Um, there is undoubtedly a large portion of the public in the 70s that were into them because of the image. Mm. And so when time moves on and images change, that's going to move on. You've got to change with it. And they did. You can't, you can't hack on them for that. And look, Paul, I mean, Paul fit that next yes. look and all that. Gene is the, Gene obviously says, I was like a duck out of water. Yep. Um, he felt he never felt that he was part of it until revenge. Um, yep. he was wearing silly wigs, he was trying to do Hollywood movies, he was a, a bit player in the kiss machine. Paul kept the whole thing going. Um, well, he, he, he ran the show because and probably because Gene had gotten interested in other stuff, he wanted to try acting, he wanted to do other bits and pieces. And um, as you say, he, he wasn't a natural fit for that sort of thing, he was a bit too. Uh, you know, big and brawny for it, whereas Paul had been doing androgyny before, you know, any of us were yeah. alive. True. Jumped straight into that. He knew exactly what was happening. But, you know, they even, they, they move into the 90s and grunge hits. They go, all right, let's do something that's a bit more. That may, um, and, and then you even look at um, that Carnival of Souls album, you know, that was full grunge, Kiss going full grunge before... Um, they got back into the reunion thing, and that's maybe where they transcended a little bit. Didn't have to worry about it so much. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I've heard lots of rumours. I mean, around that period, Kiss stopped touring internationally. They they had never been back to New Zealand and Australia since 1980 on the Unmasked tour. They didn't come yeah. here at all in the 80s. Um, I, I would have done rumors. some UK and Europe through the 80s a little bit. Oh, I think they did a, a Monsters of Rock in 1987 at yeah, Donington. They, yeah. they were there with Guns N' Roses and David Lee Roth and Iron Maiden on the one where yeah. Guns were on it. So they were they were still out there doing that sort that type of thing. Yeah. But um, you know, in America at that point, I don't know. I've heard all sorts of rumors. While they were in Arena Act, they were starting to struggle to fill them now. Um, yeah. And when you listen, have you ever have you ever uh, watched Kissology? Which one? There's like that? four. There's like four, three maybe three editions, and it's a DVD set, and it's got it's got like a an entire show from the Crazy Nights tour, um, and it's got a whole show of the Hot in the Shade tour. It's got full concerts. And it's called Kissology. And I've got one of them. Um, and it was quite interesting. See, my my gateway, like I said, was the Crazy Nights tour. And um, 
you know, pre-internet, you just didn't know what the concerts looked like back in those days. You know, like you watched the Crazy Nights video and that was about the extent of it. They never released a live concert video from that tour, nor from the Hot Mache tour. But um, I don't know, they just seemed like a band that when you think of some of the exciting bands that were out there at that time, they just were falling a bit behind. You know, um, you know, there was so much that was new and interesting. And, you know, I'm I'm not just talking about Bon Jovi on the Bon Jovi on Slippery and Wet, definitely put on the Hysteria tour. Yeah. You know, I mean, Molly Crew on, on the Dr. Feelgood tour. And then you've got Kiss. Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. You know, um, you got Kisses doing just their, their 12th tour of America on their 13th platinum album. And it just all seems a bit, a bit uh, passe. You know, I mean, I wasn't able to watch through the whole of any of the videos. Um, it was good. They certainly started, what they started doing at that point was, bringing a lot more of the makeup stuff back in and each tour they'd bring yeah. in some new songs they hadn't done before and um but it all kind of led to the revenge album which i don't know i mean you you were a huge fan of that album i uh, love that uh, yeah i mean t- t- tell me more about your because I, I think what you got me into that album with you was when they did do uh got their version of god gave rock and roll to you god gave I rock and roll to you that was the first time I think Kiss was something doing something interesting and fresh. Yeah, I, maybe. I mean, it's um, it's interesting because it's a cover that one, you know, yeah. of this of this old Argent song, which I've gone back and listened to and gone, you guys are very lucky that Kiss recorded the song correctly because yeah, <laughs> the original ain't ain't much. But no, I mean that. I mean, it came. I think it was on a, the soundtrack to a Bill and Ted film. The second yeah. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which I enjoyed as a piece of cinema. Um, but that song's fantastic. But then I, I think as as a piece of work, I, I think revenge feels like them lifting their game. You know what I mean? They're, they've sort of – and it probably started a little bit on Hot in the Shade, maybe because Forever was a top ten hit, it maybe gave them a little bit of a kick up the ass to you know get back into it and um but revenge feels like that like they genuinely put some work in on it you know it's not um it's not glam rock by the numbers like some of the a lot of the early 80s stuff is there's some interesting songs on there there's things like uh domino and spit you know unholy unholy and you know, and when you think about it, you name those three songs. What's what's the common thing between them? They're Gene songs. And so through the eighties, you've got Gene going, "I don't know what I'm doing. Might go and make a movie. I don't really click with the music that's happening here. I'm going to turn up and do my thing because I'm in Kiss." But meh. and then when he puts his mind to it and goes, "Actually, you know what? I'm interested. And I've got some ideas." Well, fuck me, aren't they good ones? You know. Yeah, yeah, and there's because still he, room. There's still room for some great Paul stuff on there that I just wanna um, take it off. Great songs, you know. There's some good yeah. stuff there. Yeah, 
I mean, when you think back through the 80s, I was, I was just trying to think through, like I said to you initially, I'm not sure which favourite album I had of theirs, but no. I mean, there's certainly songs in each album. I mean, I know around uh, Asylum, Tears Are Falling, yeah, great I think song. Stands Up, great tune, uh, beautiful Bruce Kulik solo. I mean, this is the thing, whenever anyone bags the 80s kiss, you're actually bagging Eric Carr, and I yeah. think Eric Carr deserves his place in history. Yeah. And you're bagging a fine guitar player in Bruce Kulik. You know, yeah. like a Bruce, I, I, he was one of my favorite guitar players of the time. That's and the thing, though. I don't think you can bag the musicianship through that time. That wasn't the issue. I think it was possibly the songwriting that was that was more the issue. Um, yeah, the musicianship and, and also, was exemplary. Well, true. Uh, I mean, look, I think live Eric Carr was prone to playing a bit fast. I thought his tempos often were a bit, you, sure. you, had, you had Peter Chris who was too basic as a drummer. Yep. You had Eric Carr that was very flashy and of the era, but you listen to some of those. Um, I mean, that animalized live. The guy's playing way, everything way too fast. They, um, it's terrible, actually. Well, at, um, least, at least you know he's not playing to a click. <laughs> at least you know it was live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we all know that Eric Singer now is probably... Yeah, pound for pound, probably the best drummer they've had. Um, sure. But yeah, look, it was a great, it was a great album, and it sort of, I don't know, represented. I mean, it came out at a time that, let's face it, we did a did a, a podcast earlier about the impact of of the Seattle scene yeah. in 1991-92. Don't forget, yeah. this came out nineteen ninety two, and it was a hard time see- to put out a friggin' a, a rock album. You know, yet they did seem to have the gravitas to rise above, yes, and stay as a classic act. They were yep. still able to go on a tour, yeah. And you know, I think the way they navigated that period showed what well, just separated the men from the boys that they deserved yep. their place in, in there, you know, that that had been built up from a fan base that had started in the 70s. Yeah. maintained in the 80s yeah. and was about to go stratospheric with the reunion, you know. Well, I mean? and it also, you know, the the, the makeup era that they, they did that for, you know, nigh on 10 years, not quite, um, and it got to a natural end and it had to end and they ended it and they did what they did through the 80s. But then you had that passage of time that then started to look back favourably on that makeup era, and they were able to sort of embrace that a little bit too, you know. So it wasn't just, um, as you say, yeah, you, know, you call them a chameleon band, and that they they tend to what, what's what's selling records now. We'll record one of them then, and they go and do that. That doesn't necessarily mean they're they're following or imitating. I don't necessarily. That's not the same thing. Those are two different things. Mm. So that when you do hit into ninety one, ninety two. And you've got other bands that are struggling to sell tickets that have, you know, your Motley Crews who can't sell theatres for their self-titled album and things like that happening. Um, Kiss are able to go, well, here's something that's a bit different for us and get a hit out of it and, and capitalise on it because they've got two decades of history behind them, you know? Do you think it was also a bit to the fact that um, a lot of those Seattle bands were were, were Kiss fans? <laughs> Kiss fans. Yeah. 
Um, you know, like you take a Tom Morello, you know, I mean, probably slightly different era, but a lot of those guys, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Probably if you ask uh, Jerry Cantrell from Allison Chains, probably Ace yeah. Freely was probably one of his favourite guitar players. All of them. All of them. So they, that, did, they did that um, that uh, collection album, the Kiss My Ass, Kiss Regrooved album. That's right. Yeah. It was a bunch of 90s bands all recording Kiss songs. Paying homage to yeah. Kiss. You're right. I'd forgotten about that album. And that, look, that was probably yet another smart move of Kiss being able to flex their, um, that's interesting, it's not, it's not listed in their discography on Spotify. Well, because they're not on it, is the trick. Yeah, you're right. You won't, you won't find it on there. It's a collection by other people. I don't even know if it's on Spotify, to be honest. I reckon I've looked for it before. I can't see it, because I remember there was a kick-ass version of... Um, Oh, God, there were so many great songs on their own, but Lenny Kravitz did a, an epic version of Deuce. Uh, Deuce. He did Deuce, Deuce with Stevie Wonder playing harmonica. If you can believe it. Yeah, and, and there was um, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yeah, did did Detroit Rock City. Detroit Rock City. And, I mean, there's all. it was just a clever move. It, it, yeah. it, it, it showed that... Um, we're not separate from these other bands. They, you know, they respect us. You know, we're not we're, we're not poison. We're not Molly Crew. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, looking for we were talking before about whatever happened to our CD collections, and mine went in the trash. I reckon that might be one I've kept because I couldn't find it on any of the streaming services. Have you got all your CDs catalogued? Have you? No, I've um, I've loaded them into my local files on Spotify. So to... Oh, okay. He's in my local. It is in my local files. Look at that. There we go. So what was the track listing of Kiss Mouse and who did what? Um, now, this won't be in order because it's in my local files in uh, Spotify. So we had Anthrax did an awesome version of She. Oh, yeah. that They, they always loved. Yeah. And they were one of those groups. See, all those heavy bands like Metallica and all that, they, they missed the whole – because they were heavy – yeah, they didn't get disposed of in quite the same way as those other hair bands, did they? The big four. They were not a hair band. Yeah, the big four. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we had Juice, Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, uh, great version of Juice. Awesome version of Juice. Garth Brooks did Hard Luck Woman. Great fit. Yeah, absolutely. Because see, country, basically country, a country was, song. Country was huge back then, and yeah. yeah. Christine, sixteen by the Gin Blossoms. There's uh, one for you, 90s aficionados, the Gin Blossoms. What was their big hit? Uh, they had a couple, maybe even three, enough enough to be renowned. They had Hey Jealousy. Right. was their um, first one. Um, oh, they had a couple of other ones. 
Anywhere you go, I'll follow you down. That's right. Yeah, I remember that one, yeah. um, If I hear it from you. So that was one of theirs, I think. So, yeah, they had so they, a few. They had a few. More, more than one album. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, now, here's, here's one I can't, I can't sing any of theirs. Toad the Wet Sprocket did rock and roll all night. And they did this sort of uh slow i can't even i couldn't i i've heard of toad the wet sprocket i couldn't tell you what their hit was i am fairly certain it was the one um and their version of rock and roll rock and roll all night was uninspiring it was this very sort of i want to rock and roll all night it was like that um now the next one, interesting one, Calling Dr. Love, and it's credited to Shandy's Addiction. And I think you had some Jane's Addiction people in there, obviously. So you had Perry Farrell and maybe the Dave Navarro. I think, um, I don't know if it was Dave Navarro. I feel like Tom Morello might have played on this one. It's got some, some of that sort of funky guitar drill stuff that that could be dave navarro he was quite good at that too i don't know i don't know who was so, his addiction well i'm just having a quick look to, well, well, but it was a, it was a mixed bag of people you're checking the personnel yeah i'm just seeing who was in it yeah so tom morello you were right tom morello brad wilk of rage against the machine yeah Billy Gould from Faith No More on bass. He's a great bass player. Yeah, sure. Maynard Maynard James Maynard James Keenan from Tool. Tool, yeah, on, right. on singing. So huh. you've actually got a really that, that's that's a kick ass of that era. So hang on, so no one from Jane's Addiction then in Shandy's no. Addiction. Okay, no. all right then. That's <laughs> my house. What do I know? Okay, yeah. But anyway, um, I mean, inter interesting bit of trivia. I, I didn't even know that at the time. So yeah, yeah. Dinosaur Junior did Gone Blind. That was okay. Yeah. Um, again, probably see, a good fit for them. See, go, see, Going Blind for me there's one of the great versions was their Unplugged. But let's talk about the Unplugged yeah, soon because yeah. We'll yeah. Get to that. Um, oh, here we go. Extreme Strutter. Yeah. That was unbelievable. They go into this little break in the middle where they throw a bit of God of Thunder in there, and it's just funky as. Oh, it's fantastic. But see, that I mean, band, extreme are just, they could do no wrong. And they couldn't. Every time I read something recently about when they did the Freddie Mercury concert at Wembley, they did the most incredible oh, medley. This yeah. ten minute Queen medley. Yeah. That just you know, and and people like to go oh, extreme that more than words band. Come on. These guys are amazing. way more than that. Amazing. Way more than that. Yeah. I know what I read was I think either Brian May, someone got upset with what they did that day. And um I always found that amazing because see, I think they knew 
this was their chance to actually, the obvious thing to do would be going there and just sing more than words. Yeah. But that they knew that that was the wrong vehicle for that song. That song had its own life and its yeah. own thing. Well, but that's what all those just, other bands did. They all went out and played two or three of their own songs. Yeah. Then they buggered off and then Queen came out and their singers came out and sang with Queen. Yeah. No, but Extreme were always a step above. Um, they're probably one of those ones we were just talking earlier about, sort of hidden gems from the 80s. And I, I, I look, Extreme had their, uh, their fame, but a lot of it was brought about by more than words. Yeah. Way, that band is way more than that song. Well, their next album was an absolute yeah. masterwork. You know, it was a masterpiece. Three sides, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how did that album? Because the other one, I'm thinking, I always listen to your Shaggy's version. I've got, I've got a few more here. So we go Strutted by Extreme, which I just love. Plaster Caster by the Lemonheads, fine. Um, Detroit Rock City by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I didn't yeah, mind interesting, that. Was interesting nice. version. Yeah. Um, there was a version of Unholy. By a German group called Die Arts, which was Die Arts, Die Arts, which you know, it's a, I, I don't want to say they all sound like Rammstein, but you know, it sounded like Rammstein doing unholy, and it, and it wasn't unholy, it was unheilig, unheilig, because it was in German, yeah, in German, yes, 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 do das, it's in German, um, Sprogen sie Deutsch. For all of our uh, German listeners, we are not ripping off your accent. It's just no, no, you know, but it's a genre. It's a genre. I love my German brethren. I had uh, a wonderful time when I went. Um, Black Diamond, Yoshiki, and the Americans. We'll, we'll fix that in post. We'll take that out in post. We're not, you know, <laughs> because we're big in Germany, so we don't want to. We're massive. We're massive in Germany and Canada. Massive in Germany and Canada. Two percent. Four percent in Canada. Yeah. Um, so Black Diamond by Yoshiki and the American Symphony Orchestra, which is the sprawling seven-minute classical masterpiece on uh, piano. Yeah. With the Symphony Orchestra behind, it, which is just yeah, really cool. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, that was a good album. Yeah, it was a great album. Well, it was a mixed bag, wasn't it? I mean, we've got Toad the Wet Sprocket at one end, and then we've got um, Yoshiki at the other. Yeah, I mean, if I look back on, I I always found it a hard listen to really hammer the album. Um, And it's sort of, look, this is probably a bit, this is another thing. It's funny you keep saying things like Kiss were chameleons, because Kiss were also innovators a lot of the time. Like that idea got replicated a lot after the fact. Of course, but yeah. They were one of the first bands to get other people to literally pay homage to them yep. with their songs and then literally release it under the Kiss name. Yeah. Because um, they they were on board. It wasn't like someone else said, as a gift from us to you, the band Kiss, like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we're going to do this for you. No, they managed that whole process. Of course. They picked the yeah. people and they got them to do it. And they probably made the profit off it. Of course they did. Of course they did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and again, I, I don't I don't mean the the chameleon thing is a knock. It's not a knock. It's a, it's an observation, um, yeah. and something that they were good at. I, th- I think it's a, they were clever. 
Well, yes, see, that that's not to say, oh, they, they used to innovate and then they had to start following us. No, 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 no. They clicked on to what they needed to do at the time to keep their brand going. And what they've always been good at and will continue to be good at even when the tours finish is marketing, you know. It's, look, yeah. whatever it is, I mean, look, I have to say another thing they did in and around that time was their history coffee table book. Yeah. I mean, what another piece of genius. Like, no one of that ilk would have ever come up. Like, they were just too busy doing DVDs. Kiss come out and do not just a book. You could buy yeah. them everywhere. But, like, $150 at the time from memory or something like that, or even more. I think it was more. Table book. I yeah, feel like it was, it was like more. Maybe three hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, we know that the the, the kings of of merchandise and and that sort of thing. But I have to say, well, I still the, got a copy of that book, and it was it was well put together. Yeah. Well, and this this is the other thing as well that they've clicked onto that a lot of you know our bands from the eighties have clicked onto now in the two thousands is that as your fans get older, they also generally get a little bit richer. You know, mm. um, and so what they were, what they clicked onto there was that um, their fans from the seventies were now 10, 20 years older and had a bit more disposable income and a fair amount of nostalgia and affection for their favourite band from the seventies. They would quite happily shell out a few hundred dollars for a very nicely packaged glossy coffee table book. Thank you very much. It, you know, yeah. you name another band that can run a convention about them you know you've got comic-con and then they just go you know we're just gonna do one just for us thanks very much well i mean the fans did it first they didn't invent that the fans did it first and then they took it on and said all right let let us help you make that even better and they did you give me another band that'll um do cruises and people will go on a cruise and watch the i mean it's it's ridiculous and how they do their cruises too just to jump on that I mean, look, say what you want about Kiss, you know, but it is for the fans, you know, and you pay for it. But when I looked at what they were doing, you and me would have a ball on one of those, Mike. They they Kiss do like a a departure thing where they just come out there and do like a bit of an acoustic-y thing. Then they come out and they'll do their full show. Then they come out and do deep cuts. Then they have Bruce Kulick come out and do an 80s show with all his yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 for the fans. Yeah. And then there's – I mean, I, I think it would be magic. I mean, we'd, we'd have a ball. Yeah, of course um, we would, except I get yeah. seasick. But other than that, be fine. Apart from that, yeah. <laughs> but but you're, you're right, though. You did just jump on there that around that time they did the, the conventions and then almost like this happy mistake. They they were doing like a little acoustic bit at the end of each convention. I don't remember what the video was called. They used to put out those DVDs, but there's that famous bit of footage when Peter was Peter Chris was invited along. Yes, uh, extreme to LA. And close up. I think was the one. Yes, ext- extreme and close up. Yeah, and he jumped up and sang "Hard Luck Woman" with them, and it just set the balls in motion. Peter and Ace were were literally floundering doing a double billing club tour, I think, at the time. I mean, I always thought of Ace. I mean, that's another hidden gem. Um, Ace had, I think, a really interesting 80s period. I I really enjoy his um, 
I think his first album was just called Ace Freely with songs like Rock Soldiers. I really like his second album, Second Coming. I like his third album, Trouble Walking, which had the weirdest thing that he did a version of the song Hide Your Heart. Yeah. And Kiss released Hide Your Heart at the same time, which is a really bizarre thing because it was a Paul song. I don't know quite someone yeah i don't know quite who was guiding ace to think that was actually a really interesting idea and he's just done a cover of a paul stanley song yeah but but for whatever reason they um it almost seemed like the planets were were aligning and they did the conventions where they were doing these acoustic things and what do you know in the time of mtv unplugged it was only a matter of time because we're going to do one and a pretty solid show that was. A pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was, it was, um, and again, it, it probably just speaks back to the, the pedigree of them as band because, I mean, the unplugged thing in the 90s went bananas and yeah, and you had a lot of bands doing that. I, I remember, um, I think it's a, it might even be, a, I can't remember who the quote is. It might be a Bon Jovi quote. It might be a Kiss quote. It's one of those guys where they say, you know, a lot of these bands, they get up and play their songs. If you if you can play your song acoustically, it's a good song. Yeah, that's a Paul Stanley quote. If you've got a song you can't play acoustically, it's probably not, not a very good song. A good song. You know, there's, yeah. you, can, you can beef it up with production and put some stuff in there and, do that but if you can't just sit down and play it it might not actually be that good and that's what unplugged i think highlighted for a lot of these 90s bands went on and did their acoustic unplugged things and they weren't very good you know yeah. some of them were fantastic but the kiss one St- stone kiss one yeah was amazing i have to say for me too they they i thought i was quite um well-versed in my history yet that album introduced me to a bunch of songs that i wasn't all that familiar with quite frankly i don't even yeah. remember coming home no which they they opened i'd never heard that song before um well, I, I still prefer very, that version of it to the original as well that unplugged version of coming home i think is better than the original recording yeah, it's a cool it's a cool version of the song um Going Blind, I thought, was an, a magical version on Unplugged. And when I went back to listen to the original, I was like, yeah, okay, I, I like Gene's version of Going Blind. Many. I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the. I mean, they did an amazing version of Sure Knows Something. I mean, what are yeah. some of your favourites on there? Well, World Without sure, Heroes was epic. World Without Heroes was amazing. Sure Knows Something from, you know, Unmasked, I think. That one so... I mean, if you want to talk deep cuts, that was one of the albums that people love to hate, which I always loved. But yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, what else on there was good? Jeez, I mean, you, you've hit the main ones. Coming home, Plastercaster was all right. Going blind was amazing. Um, they did Domino. That was all right. World Without Heroes yeah. was brilliant, fantastic. Rock Bottom was pretty good. Yeah. On the unplugged, yeah. you know, came up pretty well. Yeah. Um, the the one dud, I reckon, that one, See You Tonight. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't quite know how that made the unplugged set list. But there well, you no, my, my, my one that I just, you know, we've all got, as KISS fans, 
they keep singing certain songs. You mentioned Lick It Up early. For me, I was, I was about up. to say Lick It Up doesn't feature on the Unplugged. Who, who would have no, thought? Who would have thought? Maybe it just would have sounded weird acoustically, but oh, because there's not a lot musically going on in Lick It Up. No. You know, it's just like ch chugging on an A, I think is the, the. But the other one for me is Do You Love Me? I, I've always thought, yeah, and Paul seems to love putting that into sets. So, yeah, yeah. No, it's, a, it's a classic. What are you talking about? I would prefer that not to be on there. Yeah. Um, I still love you. And every time I look at you, to me, they're kind of one of the same. Yeah. Probably didn't need they're both. Not, didn't need both. Other. Could have been one or the other. Yeah. I, th um, I think the thing with that is um, I still love you lends itself very well to that format and every time i look at you is the ballad from revenge so it got it on yeah there. i mean the one i would have probably liked on there was probably forever uh you know like yeah. i think that would have been a cooler version of something on there rather than i still love you i mean i still, I still love you's quite quite a plotter forever and, and seems a missed opportunity there doesn't it it seems like one that should have been there i wonder if maybe it's a struggle to sing who knows maybe <laughs> that's it and of course, I mean, look, the 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 bit that everything about that night was when the the original four come and join out. Or better, I'm not a big fan of here to, tonight. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Two Thousand Man as a song, and I've never been a big fan of Ace's voice. What do you make of Ace's voice? Um, when I, when I go back to my introduction to Kiss, so. Dynasty and Unmasked, and the fact that Ace was my favourite because for no other reason, I didn't know who played what necessarily when I was six years old. He was a space guy. And then my sister said, oh, yeah, this is a spaceman singing this one. So there's a there's a few of his from there that I quite like. 2000 Man isn't one of them. It's a Rolling Stones song. It's a cover. Yeah. It's a cover. It's a cover, yeah. Um, of that period from him i prefer things like uh talk to me i really like yeah um, torpedo girl i really like you know um i like new york groove but oh again, wait come on new york groove that's amazing it's a great song yeah yeah um yeah. but that was from a solo album so is it yeah. technically i mean the, the kiss solo album and again who yeah. who does that what band says we're going to put out four solo albums on the same? Yeah, I mean, it's bananas. The, thing, the things it's these bananas. guys came up with, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and it's interesting. Um, I don't know to this day that I've listened to the whole of Peter's album. Have you? Uh, I, I couldn't. I wouldn't want to swear it on a stack of Bibles, no. No. And it's interesting, everyone bags Peter's album, but there's a, another podcast out there with a, a guy, um, Izzy, uh, Izzy Presley. And he, he often, he's everything our... our uh, there's our another excuse, podcast? Our poor excuse for podcasts. Yeah. He, he, he gets guests on, but hey, everyone starts oh, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But he, he won't let a bad word be said about Peter's solo album. Because everyone always bags it. It's like everyone always bags the elder. And I'm I'm a bit with you, man. This is the elder. elder. I like. Yeah. Start start to finish. I love that album. Oh wow. I, and I love it. Um in both track listing orders because there was the 
uh, the original track listing order, which is not the version that KISS wanted to put out, but the record company made them change it, made them move some things around, which for a concept album is a strange request. You know, you, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. you think there's a story here, it should go in a particular order. And now that all the versions that are around now, probably the Spotify version is the order that KISS want. Oh, is it really? I didn't know which that. Which is the trivia. Um, very different to the, the order on the original vinyl. So that you probably have my vinyl copy of The Elder in your house somewhere. I do. Um, I've got yeah. my own copy too, though, actually. So yeah. that's one I've got both. We've both got, yeah. Um, um, but you, so, I wonder if those track listings are in different orders. So, so it's, it's interesting. Oh, are you still hearing me? Yes. I think my my pods are about to blow, but that's okay. They're just about to run out of battery. Um, it's interesting. I note here that... Does I, that happen on Izzy Presley's podcast? His AirPods run out of battery? It would never happen on Izzy Presley's podcast. Um, I'm, I'm going to actually... Do you think he'll send out. us some money for plugging his podcast? Izzy, if you're listening, we'd like, uh, we love you and, um, and everything you do. And we love Peter Chris too. Yeah, we love Peter Chris. Um, hang on, let me get let me get these off. Um, I can, but not well. Hello. Hello. Oh God. Okay. You hear me all right? I can. Yeah. It's just. My computer, so I'll um these are now done. Um no, no. Oh, where were we at? Sorry. Um but back to the unplugged album. That was obviously the opportunity where the four of them got to reunite. I think we all felt it just watching it. There was there was a magic word, wasn't it? Because see, I'd never seen the four of them together, and for the first time I thought, shit, this is I mean, his ver- Peter's version of Beth that night, as sick as we are of rock and roll all night, it was pretty cool seeing them all jamming it. Right. Nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So it set up the reunion. And um, I have to say, man, when that got announced, I have to say that rates is one of the highlights of my young life at that time. You know, I remember, I certainly remember when the first lot of dates got announced, we were toying... I know it got sort of thrown around the idea that you and me might go over and see them at Donington or um, we were sort of throwing around a few ideas and then all of a sudden the, the Auckland dates got announced. And they're alive. Yeah. What a day that was. We were so what committed. What a day that was. We were so committed. We were so committed. It was like, well, we can't just see Auckland. Let's go, let's go to Australia. Let's yep. see it. Shows we can, and I mean, back in the mid '90s, it just wasn't as easy as going online. I mean, the internet was in its infancy. It was I remember going on the internet to find out that our date had been announced on Kiss's website, but yeah, it wasn't as easy as that. It was a trip to the travel agent. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Eh? And how many shows did we end up seeing? I think six. So or we seven. saw we saw Auckland. Yeah. Um, and then we saw one Brisbane, and then we yep. saw two Sydneys, two and then Sydney. we saw three Melbournes. Three Melbourne, yeah. Auckland, Brisbane, two Sydneys, three Melbournes. Seven yep. shows. Yeah. 
And I have to say, the only probably disappointment for us is that they didn't change the set very much. Not much. At all. A little. A little, I reckon. I reckon the last two Melbournes, there were some changes. Yeah. But I don't think between... I mean, we talked about this on another podcast about our favourite concerts, but, I mean, just to just to quickly recap that whole experience, February 1997, so obviously they'd started their reunion at... Um, Tiger Stadium. Tiger Stadium, 1996. Have you seen footage of that? Because that's on Kissology as well, the whole of that show. I've, I, I don't think I have watched the whole thing. I've seen... Um... I mean, they they put out like that sort of two-hour special on the reunion tour and there's some footage from Tiger Stadium and that that I've seen. Yeah. Look, it was a shaky gig, but the the anticipation that was in there, and I've often, I've read since then, you know, I mean, Doc McGee, that was the magic of Doc McGee coming on board. He saw a picture, didn't he? He had been involved with these big bands, Bon Jovi and all that, and it was just what Kiss needed they needed someone who who could take it back to what to their former glory and boy yeah. did buddy do that yeah he sure did although i do love there's a there's a bit on that um two hour special you know doc mcgee's thing that he used to do with bon jovi and he probably did with other band as well where they all put their hands in and go you know when i woke up this morning i said to myself i said self <laughs> what today it's a great fucking day for rock and roll. And when he does it with Bon Jovi, they'll go, well, fuck yeah, and they're all into it. And he does it with Kiss, and they'll just stand there with their hands in, and Paul just sort of looks at him and goes, all right then, and off they do it. I've seen that same bit of footage. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. And it's right. It's like, oh, dude. You it's like he's, he's sitting there going, doesn't everyone do this? And they're sitting there going, don't know what you're talking about, brother. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I just think I just think what Doc brought to the table is probably or oh, maybe some money. He probably got the funding to get it all going. I mean, that they, they weren't they they would have been well off guys, Paul and Gene, at that point. I think oh, for sure. money started it. But when you read the autobiographies from around that period, you know, like it wasn't to lay down Mazir initially, I don't think. Ace and Peter were paid an awful lot, and then all of a sudden it just oh. it took off so quickly. Uh, I think Ace and Peter were both like, "You guys are not going to carry on paying us ten grand a gig. I'm sorry, you're not going to keep selling these stadiums." And I think everyone's money went up. And well, and, the, and this was the problem that eventually tore it to pieces, though. You know, was that um, you know to the world it was marketed as the the four coming back together and behind the scenes it was no 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 we own the band and you are coming on as contracted employees at a very small percentage thank you very much mm-hmm. and you know there, there's a part of you that goes oh geez you know if you, if you were serious about it you go four ways and then there's another part of you that goes no man you are absolutely 100 correct to do that it's funny though with that stuff uh mike because um, I've just finished reading an autobiography from a guy called Bob Daisley. Now, Bob Daisley was the bass player back in the day with The Blizzard of Oz, which was the first albums of Ozzy, and he's been with Gary Moore, he's been with Uriah Heep and all that. And his number one gripe in this book was when 
Ozzy was down and out after he'd been fired from Black Sabbath. He met up with Ozzy in a, a place, a, a club in London, and they talked about putting a band together. Yeah. And um, called the Blizzard of Oz. And Ozzy mentioned a young guy that he'd met in LA called Randy Rhodes. And the next thing, uh, Bob Daisley pulls his old Uriah Heat mate, Lee Kerslake, in. They write an album, they record an album together. Yeah. Yep, it's using Ozzy's name. Uh, but, you know, it, it was put together as a band. And yeah. um, there was so much creative input from everybody to get it to where it was. Yeah. And Sharon Osborne was the one that went eventually, just literally, well, first it was her old man, Don Arden, and then it was Sharon. He just was like, no, the only star in this fucking band is Ozzy Osbourne. And all they wanted was, it was always going to be Ozzy got 50% and the rest of them split the other 50%. So if Ozzy got, I think it was something like, of every album, there was 12% is what the record label gave them. Ozzy was to get 6% as the sort of major guy and, yeah. and they wouldn't even give them that and and i always felt that this is what his number one gripe was is that he was the guy that came up with parts of mr crowley and he's the guy that came up with uh you know the riff of crazy train and all that and yeah. it's almost been written out of history and i find that a little bit with kiss i get it i get it you know paul and gene were the ones that kept it together and there was ace and peter had no stock at that point. But it wouldn't have taken much, I think, to make Ace and Peter. I think there was a way to do it that wasn't probably so unfair. Yeah. Yeah. There was almost there was an element of rubbing their faces in it. You're absolutely right. You're and absolutely right. I think it's a bit like that with Bob. Because you're right, there's 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 not much of a difference between sticking your boot in someone's face about it and going you know what, let's be respectful about it. There's, there's not much of a difference in that. Look, I think it's the sort of thing that is around, I've read it now in a few books. I mean, this is the difference when you start understanding what goes on behind the scenes in a band uh, compared to what you think of as a fan. And, and I mean, we've seen it with um, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. You have to know that X or Rose to have let those others in, they... I suspect it would be something like Axel gets 50%. I reckon Duff and Slash are splitting 20 each. And then the others are all on a wage. It'll be something yeah. like that. Because sure. I think it's what fucked off Izzy was that I'm not, I'm not going to come back. Yeah. I'm a guy that wrote half these songs. I'm not coming back. And you're not taking 50%, you know. Yeah. So of course Izzy misses out, you yeah. know. And um well, yeah, I mean, gun, guns might be a slight exception because does Slash and Duff need it? Probably not. Does Axel need 50% though? I mean, I'm only yeah. for example, I don't know. I don't he, know he, if, he almost needs them more than they need him a little bit. I think so. I think so. You know? look, um, that's probably another thing. I guess the point yeah. I was making, when you read Peter and Ace's book, you do got, you guys have made so many mistakes in your life, but I also yeah. think, Paul and Gene were such wealthy men. I don't know. Yeah. Did they do right by Ace and Peter? Yeah. The, but I don't know. Well, uh, and, and the thing as well that comes into that is they're still making all this money off the brand and the name and the merchandise. So surely for 
for touring and that sort of thing, you could be a little more equitable, you know. Yeah. And I, I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of all of that. Maybe they were, maybe it was a little bit different. But as it went on and they started playing Ace and Peter off against each other and not paying them the same depending on what day of the week it was, you say, ah, oh, come on, you know. Well, it was destined, this, to, it was destined to fail. And yeah. I always think in business, some, one of those things that sometimes you get too clever for your own good. And I can imagine someone like Doc McGee dodging every question. And, of course, it's just what fires everyone. And in the end, it was the sort of thing that we saw what was meant to be the final shows. And it was Ace and Eric Singer, remember? Yeah, yeah. Then, because I came back to Australia and watched those with you in 99 or whatever, then you saw the Kiss Symphony where Peter's yeah. back on the drum stool. Yeah. But that's Tommy Thayer. Yeah. So it was like literally, I mean, what were Kiss playing at that point? I mean, in my head, that was where the whole magic started falling apart, but I don't know that I ever really got that same excitement again. Hey, I get it. You got Mr. Reliable, Mr. Yes Man, and Tommy Thayer now, and you've got yeah. a hell of a drummer and Eric Singer. Sure. But um, as fans, I don't know. Um, that's probably where I dropped off, Mike. You know, like yeah. I've never, I had no interest in their albums. I mean, no, that's probably not right. I paid a lot of attention to Psycho Circus. Yes. Well, because uh, that, was, that was the big reunion album, though. That was the one that was going to show us that Kiss were back. And um, I guess when I found out afterwards, that was all a bit. Uh, I mean, it was almost like a, just a little bit, um, it was well, it was very contrived, wasn't it, really? Of course it was, yeah. Um, of course it was. There's, there's Peter singing a song that sounds just like Beth. Uh, I finally found my way to you. You've got Ace singing, what was his song on that album? Into the Void. Into the Void. Cool song, very Ace-like. Yeah. Um, you got that. Terrible bloody you wanted the best that they're all singing a line each. I don't mind that. I don't know if there are yeah. But I don't know. It did lack a bit of authenticity. I did I did eat it up though, uh, because I thought yeah. Psycho Circus was an epic song. Psycho Circus people, is great. I quite like the um the the two at the end. Um Dreaming and Journey of a Thousand Years and Journey of a Thousand Years has a real elder vibe about it for me that I really dig. It's it wouldn't be out of place on the elder that song, and I quite liked it. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I do raise raise your glasses. That's all right. It's all right. I don't mind. Um, you wanted the best. The one that made me go ugh is We Are One. I was like, oh come on. Yeah, <laughs> No, you're not. You know, it's, yeah. Nah. Yeah. Um, and then I, th I just think probably the wheels were starting to fall off. I remember they, they started that Psycho Circus tour all together at Dodgers Stadium this time in Los Angeles. I mean, so they're all still, this is Doc McGee 101 talking to yeah. Gene Simmons. They were, they were going big again. Um, but I don't know. Uh, by, by the time, like I say, by the time we got to see them, uh, there was all of a sudden no Peter. I will say that when we saw that show, it was, there was a tightness to it. Like I really did notice a difference of Eric Singer. Of he course. 
a monster drummer. Of course, he's, mind, he's, you know. I don't mind Eric Singer because Eric Singer had that history of being there for revenge. Yeah. So I kind of he was more palatable to me than Tommy Thayer. Who funny if you and me met Tommy Thayer? Remember that at, at um, the FM station that night that we saw a Kiss tribute um, in Los Angeles. Yeah, sure. And I took us over to meet these guys that were in a band at the time called um, Shake the Faith or Number Nine, and we got their autographs. And one of them was Tommy Thayer. So um, somewhere you've probably got his autograph. And he I've got an autograph of the guy from Kiss. I've probably got a photo with him, you know. Yeah. yeah. And they were all there watching a, a Kiss tribute that night, which was a cool, cool thing, but it's amazing. The guy, the guy does have a hell of a story. Like let's let's face For it. Sure. Wouldn't you have wished to have had that opportunity? And he, he he got to work with them all the way through the reunion too as like a tour manager come thing. And he was just there waiting for his opportunity. Yeah. And he took it when it when it his time came. Well, who who wouldn't who wouldn't do that? Who wouldn't do that? You're right. Yeah. Um where does it leave us with Kiss? And, I mean, well, I mean, we uh I mean, they, there was the album they put out in 2012, Monster. And I feel like they had another one in there, didn't they? They did one that had a song called Modern Day Delilah. Modern Day Delilah, yeah. Which I thought was a pretty kick-ass song. Well, and I, I bought that in Germany. Shout out to our German fans. Um and the reason I bought it when I was in Germany is because the KISS logo on the front of the album is different in Germany uh, because they're not allowed to display the lightning bolts. You're right. Um, and so it had this, this logo on it that had a distinctive S shape at the end. And I thought, that is a collector's item. Thank you very much. And I picked up, I mean, not so much a collector's item. I'm sure they sell millions of albums in Germany, but it was different. And so I bought it for the I have to say, Spot I'm just looking on Spotify too. They're missing an album here. They are missing an album. Um, what's it called? Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom is missing on Spotify now. I wonder it's missing on Spotify. I reckon it's because it was independently recorded. Um, so they've got a lot of albums on Universal and Mercury and Casablanca and all of that. So they were Casablanca originally, obviously, and they've gone to Mercury Records from Lick It Up on up until Psycho Circus. And then um, Mercury is a, was, I think, a subsidiary of Polygram. I think Bon Jovi are on the same label. So. And then Polygram got swallowed up by Universal and Monster is on Universal. But Sonic Boom was released by Kiss Records. There you go. So they, they were out of, they had no record deal at the time. Go figure. How about that? Well, I didn't know that bit of trivia. And I mean, at that point, I think they were just literally, they'd announced their farewell with Ace. That, was, that show was meant to be the last time. Then they came back and did... American tour with Aerosmith from memory and all of a sudden then out of the blue they were doing a live 35 um, and this went on to become a going concern I mean um, next thing they were packaging themselves with who else 
uh, well, I saw them with Motley in Australia. I think they packaged themselves with poison at one point. They just went on and started packaging themselves. Yeah. Doing whatever it took to go out there and just do some touring. Didn't they do one of those um, Vector Arena multi-band gigs in Auckland? No, down here they did it in Wellington called Rock to Wellington. It was them, Poison. Uh, One of those two-day things? Yeah, it? It, was yeah. A, it was a festival in Wellington. Yeah. Um, it was them, White Snake, Poison, and on the other night they was Ozzy Osbourne, Alice Cooper, and a band called Lordy. But, yeah, yeah. so they, they came out and did things like that. Um yeah, have you seen them in recent years? I mean, when was your last gig with them? I saw the Motley Crew in Melbourne. I I, I was just happened to be in town. I went and saw. Them. I haven't I haven't seen them on any of the package things. I reckon the first farewell tour was the last time I saw them live. So and the then, show I went to at Rod Label with Eric Singer and Ace Freely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've seen them since then. Um, and I think the thing that stopped me was um, watching that show and seeing this pretty much the same set list that I saw in 97 and going, you're not offering me anything else. And then oddly the next time they came and I didn't buy tickets, but I looked it up the next day and stuff and, and they played, you know, Crazy Nights and Heaven's on Fire and all this stuff. And I'm going, come on, guys. Yeah. Well, I, look, I didn't think I was going to see any of this stuff. That's why I didn't go. And then they came out and played it. And I went, man, and to, I their credit, and to their credit, they, I mean, with Tommy Thayer, I think they've, and Eric Singer, I think they've got that ability to literally do whatever, whenever. I mean, I was amazed on the Kiss Cruise, they did uh all night. but they gave it a shot and i I think for us fans have seen them so many times um, i really don't need to see them do do you love me one more time you know i've seen many many times but that's Um, one of your favorites what do you mean you don't you don't want to but i i would get frustrated not cc i can can listen to detroit rock it's been like living on a prayer for me detroit rock city i could listen to over and over i could take or leave rock and roll all night after all this time yeah look but it's always going to close the show you know that's going to happen yeah god right. thunder i could watch that a few times love gun i could watch that a few times you know yeah yeah, yeah. there's something about the solo in that song that just yeah lifts me up you know yeah um so no i've seen them a few times since i was just thinking i did also see kiss um at Homebush Stadium. They didn't do it in the stadium. They did it in the arena out there in in, um, in Sydney. So I've seen them a few times since, and I just keep feeling that I'm just seeing. Look, it's moved into what it's moved into now for me, Mike. Is if you've got a bit of spare cash, it's a great night out. They will give you a good show. Yep. I do. And I guess this is the thing as you get older, I don't think I'll ever be able to, re- what I'm trying to, I'm trying to chase the dragon. What I'm trying to replicate is the epic night that I had in 1997 when I saw them for the first time with my mates. It's not going to happen, is it? Front row, wearing our kiss makeup. It's not going to happen. Your, that your now wife studiously applied to us over the course of several hours because it's not that easy to do. No. And so there we were in our perfect 
kiss makeup front row i will take to my grave sitting in the front row and having paul stanley playing his guitar me with my paul stanley makeup on looking out to the crowd looking me direct in the eyes and pointing at me and going and giving me a thumbs up because i there i was I'm like i'm i'm getting teary talking about it now you know it's just well, I'm really, I'm really pleased, Mike, that that's your final memory because my final memory of you and Paul Stanley was when we got to meet them at Auckland Airport. I, th- I thought this might come up. <laughs> when we got to meet them I, at Auckland I, Airport. You know what, I, I can't imagine, I, I, I thought I'd gotten away with it when this didn't come up when we were talking about concerts that we'd been to. Yeah. And we like talked that, about meeting them at the airport and I thought, oh, here it comes. And it didn't. It didn't come. No, well, well just I, I need to recount the story because I, I love your 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 take on it, but it, it is just, I've told this story so many times over the years, but the fact yeah. was we'd managed to catch wind of the fact Kissel coming in late into Auckland Airport and we went out there, our whole band, and we, we waited patiently uh outside of the departure hall the arrivals hall sorry and we waited we waited inside initially and they told us we couldn't wait in there they knew they clocked us real early and went nah you're not doing that inside out you go yeah so so we we hung out and we said okay well hang on a minute when they come out where that where do the courtesy vehicles where do the courtesy vehicles go there they are right okay and we And it was one of the most remarkable moments. I, this is something that makes me teary-eyed just thinking about it, is I just remember this moment, Mike, when one by one they started coming out and we just started playing Beth. And yeah. you're singing and I think Matt Walsham was harmonising. And I just remember this moment of just carrying on and and right before our eyes, they came out one by It was Paul yeah, first, they come, I think. Paul and Peter... Paul and Peter, then Gene. Then Gene, and then Ace. Ace was sort of behind, and Doc was somewhere there. And I remember Doc sort of giving us a bit of a, hey, well done, guys. And oh, even, I, even that was cool. Fucking Doc McGee. Are you shitting me? Doc McGee. This is the guy. From- yeah, and, and what we didn't know is earlier that night, they'd had an awful night in Australia. In the, after, in the afternoon, they had, conference a, they had the shitty press conference. Yeah. Shitty press conference. So here they were, they'd, they'd flown all the way over, it was late. I, w- yeah. I would have said just before midnight or whatever. Their flight was delayed as well. They, they so, had a delayed flight. They had this awful press conference where the president sort of hacked into them a little bit um, and they had to be quite defensive and didn't yeah. enjoy it. It was, it, was like, it, was like, it was like typical self-deprecating Kiwi Aussie type reporters going you know yeah. it was like things like aren't you over it or don't you yeah. feel old well and someone had done the setup with these thrones and they i remember seeing them walking out and looking at these themed thrones going what the fuck is this you know yeah and, probably and, good and they probably weren't expecting it from the australian press either because australia typically has been far more favorable to them than new zealand was absolutely but i just i just take it back to that moment and we we just, were not aware of any of that of course we, no, we were aware of it you know we, that was all after the fact but i just remember that moment of of starting playing beth and why we chose beth i guess i guess it lent itself well acoustically because we could do it acoustically and well and in retrospect we should have done coming home i'm coming home to you 
That, yeah, would, have been, that would have been the much better song because in retrospect, again, knowing the context of the press conference, what happened when Paul and Peter came out was, you know, they came out and they were like, oh, oh, this is great. Oh, thanks, guys, you know. And then I distinctly remember Peter Chris turning to Paul and going, hey, who wrote this? And Paul being a bit, hmm, yeah, yeah, not wanting to get into it. And Peter sort of pushing buttons about, oh, they're singing the song that I wrote, which yeah. do, do some YouTube research. Turns out he didn't write fuck all on that song. <laughs> right. Because it's always, yeah. always credited him and Stan Penridge. He, yeah, but he was... I mean, I don't, I don't know how much we want to get into here, but he was in a previous band that had played that song and basically the story goes that the other guys in that band wrote the song they? and it had F all to do with him and he's sort of taken it with him. Anyway. But no, that, just, that's neither here nor there. So he, he was pushing Paul's buttons about it. And, yeah. And then you know, this, this, is, this is what? Six months into their tour and already they're nick, nick, nick at each other. Yeah, I, I guess so. And uh, but I just remember yes. lots of smiles. I remember, I remember Paul oh, nodding his head, and it really felt like we'd made their day. And I guess when you think about it, in terms of for guys like that that, are, that go everywhere and and all that, it's probably just a really nice little surprise because it was they weren't being overwhelmed by fans jumping at them like in Japan or something. No. Just, now we went. We weren't the only ones there, but there weren't a lot of people. There were no. So they took their time. I mean, it, it was to a point where Gene asked us to do it again so we could get some footage. I don't recall whether we played the whole thing. Do you? I don't, I don't think we did. No, I don't think we played that much. Because sooner or later, what all of us wanted was our photos with the band and, and yeah. to get our, um, our things. So, what did you well, get signed that night? Because I got a live two sign. What did you? I, I had a live one. On vinyl, Stein. So um, Peter Chris signed it twice because there's he the signed bit, mine twice too. There's the bit in the gatefold where it has the notes from all of them, and so initially he took it from me and he signed the front, and I'm like, no, 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 sign, sign in here on your on your note in the gatefold. Like, oh, okay, so he signed it. So he signed it twice. You've probably got that at your house too, just quietly. Actually, you know what? No, I've got oh, it here. I do have it here. It's one of the ones that did make its way over. Because it's too precious, too precious to not bring. Doc McGee's um, signed yours. No, I see he signed mine. No, yeah. I just got the I just got the four guys, um, which is where the story is going, obviously. But I, I remember um, standing waiting for Gene to sign it, and Gene had set his eye on one of the because um, I was working for Sounds at the time, and one of the record company reps used to come into the store was there a young lady and he was well hello and, and very easy was, on the eyes you're very easy on the eyes and he had a you know and a nice hand grasp and all this sort of stuff and we're standing going can you just please <laughs> sign our stuff gene yeah you know she'll still be come on um and she and we, later but for god's sake just sign our things yeah, yeah that's right and, and and but he was all very oh you know thanks guys so much and oh can we can we get a photo hey whatever you want whatever, you, they, want, that's right. whatever you want but it wasn't whatever we wanted because we never got that sort of posed photograph of us and them it didn't happen you know they were ushered off into their vehicles and away they went i think a couple of you guys got um i think matt 
got a good photo with Ace. Yeah, he's the only one too. I've got a terrible photo with Paul, and it's a shame because yeah. he's literally looking up like this. Yeah, and he's half got his eyes closed, and I, yeah. I'm just looking over his shoulder. There was I, a lot of a lot of that, a lot of photos while I was signing stuff because we couldn't, we didn't have enough time to sort of angle them in and go. Can we just all stand here and get a picture? Yeah, all of us and all of you, just one shot. That's all we wanted. Didn't yeah. happen. Got didn't happen. away. And so, of course, what we did was I remember they had two cars for the band, and yep. one car was 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 Gene and Peter. Gene and Peter. Yeah, but you'd been so caught up trying to get Gene's autograph. All of a sudden, you looked down and went, "Uh oh, I don't have aces. I don't have aces signature. Where's Ace? Ace is in the car." Yeah. Holy cow! And I'm sitting there going, "I have a vinyl copy of a live one." With three out of four members of Kiss's signatures on it. And Peter signed it twice. Peter signed it twice. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. There's someone missing. And yeah. lo and behold, yeah. it's six-year-old Mike's favourite. Ace. Has not signed this this thing. I'm sitting like, oh, I remember just going, he's, in, he's over there. He's with Paul. I was going to say, I don't know where he is. He said, he's in that one. He's in that one. And the windows were down. And I went, this is... Such bad etiquette. I don't care. I don't care. And so I ran, there was like a big SUV vehicle. Mm. Now, Paul Stanley had come out from the thing and he was wearing this beautiful white knit long sleeve top. Yeah. And a leather jacket and jeans and this white, pure white top. And I jumped onto the side of his vehicle before it drove away because I felt like the engines were starting and they were going to go any second. And I had my vinyl copy and I had my Sharpie in my hand and I stuck my head in the window and there was Paul Stanley right next to me and he just, <laughs> and, I, and I literally said, I am so sorry. I don't have Ace's signature. Would you mind signing this? And Ace was half asleep next to the window and he turned yeah, sure, man, whatever you want. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And Paul was like, yeah, no problem. And so I leaned across to pass my vinyl and my Sharpie over. And as I leaned across, my open Sharpie went straight across the bicep of Mr. Paul Stanley in his white long sleeve shirt. And there was this big black Sharpie across the top of it as I leaned over. And Paul just, he just, he just sort of stopped and he went, <sighs> black ink on a And he looked down, he looked and he went, black ink on a white shirt, that's all I need. And I sat there, ass hanging out of this car, head in the car, and I just looked at him and he did not look back at me. And I just went, I'm sorry. And Ace dutifully signed my album and gave it back to me. He did it with his um, little, little Ace card that he does. He did his Ace, yeah, he did the whole thing. Did the whole and he thing. gave it back. And he seemed oblivious to the fact that I had just yeah. ruined Paul's shirt. And I went, thank you, thanks so much, thanks, guys, and jumped out of the car and off I went, and away they drove. And that was, uh, yeah, yeah. I have to say, and then, and then not twenty four hours later, he was on stage, 
pointing at me and giving me a thumbs up and I'm sitting in the cab going, you don't know it was me. You don't, you have no idea. Did I ruin your shirt last night? It was one of the, it was one of those moments because I, I used to remember it so clearly all of us were in such seventh heaven and, and on a high of what had just occurred. But you, you had this little niggle of the fact that you just put black ink on your hero's white shirt and it was right up there with, I mean, I remember Ben's not here tonight, but Ben, ben did a similar faux pas with Zach Wilde from Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player. We got to meet him once and same thing. It's really hard when you're meeting your heroes. It's hard to be natural. It's hard to be a bit clumsy. and Of course. Yeah. Um, but I remember Ben trying, trying to be, uh, you know, trying to give Zach thumb, you know, the big, big ups. He was like, oh, so good you're back, Zach, you know. That guy, Joe Holmes, is, he's just terrible. And Zach was like, hey, listen, man, Joe's a fantastic guitar player. Yeah, but all I'm saying, though, Zach, is that, you know, it's so much awesome having you back. Hey, man, look, don't bring down Joe, dude. You know, and it was one of those things like you should be having that discussion with Zach Wilde, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I mean, look, Ozzy was terrible with us. Remember, he took a photo with Sarah, but he refused to have a photo with any of us guys. Yeah. He, Kind of get it, you know. I mean, kids were a lot more grace, had a lot more grace than that. But um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting sort of coda to the story. Was the fact that you got Ace's autograph, but it was in the I got, I got my autograph, marking Paul Stanley's shirt. Well, and and at the time, I remember being a little bit. Oh, I can't believe I did that. As, as if something bad was going to happen because of that. I mean, come on, the interaction is over. That's the end of it. Um, and it would, I would, I would draw on his face if it meant that I could get the autograph on on that. You know, to get all four of them on the album rather than just three. Yeah. I would have stuck the sharpie up his nose. You know, it's ridiculous. Um, and I do remember at the time, kind of going, "Oh man, he was he was so annoyed about it. Why was he so annoyed?" And then we found out later about the shitty day that had. Yeah. And sitting on the way over, I went, that's why he was so annoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was just, because um, I always remember with Gene, I got Gene's autograph very quickly. And so I was able to quickly look around and, and I always remember I would have loved a photo with Ace, but Matt quickly put his arm around Ace and said, oh, take a photo. So I got the only good photo they got was of him and Ace. Um, yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't know that Matt got a lot of signatures. I think he got photos. I don't know that he got much signed. Right. So that's the trade-off, you know. It's, it was one of those things, man. It was it was just, yeah, when, when you come in front of your heroes like that and it's in a very unmanaged environment, it's hard. I've seen it over and over in the years with when I've toured artists. People don't know what to say. It's It's, I just thought, the best thing that we had was rather than looking like fans, we gave something back to them. Yeah. We gave a little moment and they obviously loved it because they, they made us do it again to film it. And I was just, it was just a shame that they, they had a double VHS set that came out a few years after that. And I, I always hoped that our little bit of footage was on there, but obviously it didn't make the cut, but um, yeah, special moment, man. And yeah. Um, yeah, the rest of the Australian tour, I mean, I always remember, the big difference was the New Zealand date had a whole lot of the production stripped out from it. Yeah, it did. Uh, well, because it was in the supertop and they couldn't fit it in. Yeah. Whereas so, the Australian ones had these brilliant, uh, things that took them out over the crowd. And, yeah, big cherry pickers. Yeah. Although, although I remember it got stuck one night. Remember? I do. Melbourne. 
Melbourne. It got stuck. And they were stuck, out, just there stuck out there. And we were like, what are we watching? It just all of a sudden got black. And then we looked up and there's a silhouette and he's kind of just stuck up there, just like. Um, yeah. But um, probably the thing that I remember from those shows was I remember their version of Shandy. Was yeah. Epic night and night out. I just thought. Well, it was purely acoustic, wasn't it? Acoustic yeah, version warm, that Paul it? did with his um, broken mirror guitar. He'd sit there and play this. Yeah. Um, so there were some special moments. and I, From memory in Melbourne, the big one that was different is they did a version of Come On and Love Me, I think, instead sure. of something else. So, so, look, I think we were hoping by taking on so many gigs that we were going to get, like, night and night out different things. But Kiss, I mean, that, there's too much pyro, too much stuff like that. There, it was never going to be that fluid. Oh. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah. You know it's, you know it's in the 80s. We, start, we started in the 80s with this chat. We didn't, uh, we basically ignored them at the height of their powers in the 70s. We haven't even talked about it. I reckon it's probably another discussion. Um, yeah. Because, um, yeah. I mean, the, the 70s has been so well documented. We weren't there for it. We weren't there for their um, their 1980 show in Auckland. I mean, I was six years old and so were you, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah. It's My really sister funny. went. Did My she? Sister. Yeah, she went and saw them at Western Springs. Western Springs. It's funny how we can we can talk for as long about the period that in Kiss's mind it was never their actual, never their halcyon days, although arguably the reunion did take them right back up to that level. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, there you have it, folks. If there's one band Mike and I can talk all night about, it's Kiss. Hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any comments, put them in the comments section. And we'll see you next week with our friend Ben coming back for the Wish We Were Rockstars podcast. The people I'd fear in the land of the angels that fights in the streets. Movie stars and palm trees. M16 awaits you. A man.